my father was would have the foresight to say, just go meet everybody you can. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if they need anything. Just, just go make sure everybody knows your name and your face. And he didn't take it much further than that, but that was probably the best advice I got in those first five or six years. So that turned into join everything that anyone asks you to join. <laughs> uh, join board. Chamber, this board, this board. Will you be an advocate for this? Will you teach uh, junior achievement? I mean, and I did all of it and it was really great. And then you have to start scaling back and then you have children and the things really have to peel back. But the, the evolution of it has become now I'm trying to teach other people. How, not everybody. I don't need it, uh, uh, everybody out hunting, but um, one or two people that are just good. And it's I say it's relationship. Just just go get to know people and don't try to sell them anything. And that in exchange will be who you'll be the person they want to buy from. Yep. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have the one and only Charlie Royer with me. Charlie's a great friend, been friends for a long time here in Fort Worth. Charlie is the partner, co-owner, and runs business development for Royer Commercial Interiors. So think office furniture, think furniture in commercial buildings. So we have an interesting conversation coming up. We've actually had the pleasure of working on a few projects together. Um, I didn't know there was much to know about commercial furniture. We're in for a great conversation. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on in the environment, how he sees office. He has a unique view of what's going on in the office world. And then more just about the industry in general. So, Charlie, thank you for joining me. You got it. Thank you, Chris, for having me. This is a third time's a charm. I've had to cancel on it twice. I know. Appreciate it. And I got to tell you, you got some really beautiful office furniture in this building. I know. Where did where did we get this stuff again? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Some salesman. I know. Well, we're (laughs) going to talk about that. Let's just start with kind of the two minute cliff note version of like your story and how you kind of got to where you are today. You bet. Royer Commercial Interior started as standard office equipment in 1943, started by my great-grandfather, Homer Royer. Uh, my grandfather later joined after completing uh, his round through the Marines and then quickly made friends with a with a, I would call a golf nemesis from high school uh, by the name of Bob Schutz, who had just finished his Air Force gig. They got together, turned it into Royer and Schutz, and then my father got involved. And then when I graduated from TCU, I uh, was certain that I did not want to get into the furniture business right away. And I ended up there about three years later uh, and have loved it ever since. So uh, spent a year in the field with our install team and then learned the business from the ground up that way. We've been here in Fort Worth since 43, so 76 years. We have a Dallas office and uh, we operate in government, healthcare, higher education, a little bit of K through 12. And then the corporate world is the majority of our, our pie. What'd you do in that window before, after college, before you started? I started a landscape business. Okay. Uh, and then I ended up selling that. Okay. Uh, and I almost went to work at the Autobahn to sell Porsches. Uh, all okay. through high school, I worked at a car audio shop doing the, I guess, pimp my ride would be the one thing that you could compare to. But we built a lot of cars for the Rangers and the Cowboys. And I had relationships in the car world. And that's what I wanted to get into. I thought if I could, those guys would give me a job at, at the Porsche dealer, I can learn all of it. Did they? Uh, I was close, yeah. but then uh, my dad talked me out of it, and I, I listened. 
So are you a fourth generation? I'm a fourth generation. Okay. I didn't have this on my my list, but let's just talk about that for a little bit. You What's bet. it like being the, I mean, you hear that businesses rarely make it past the second or third generation. You're the fourth. Can you kind of speak to that? What's it like to be fourth generation into a business? Yeah. Um, I've, I've thought about that a lot, Chris. We, I mean, I grew up not every weekend or every day, but spent a lot of time scooting around on a pallet jack in the warehouse and knowing all these guys that created our lifestyle by working hard uh, and seeing all the families that we supported and the family that, that was created within the company. So I was always drawn to what we did, but I didn't really understand the scale. Uh, each generation has, was run very, uh, very differently. Uh, Gen 1 didn't have, uh, as my dad puts it, two nickels to rub together. Started a great business. Uh, my grandfather got in and was just a, a very kind, gentlemanly sales guy. People bought from him just because they liked liked him. In fact, uh, Alcon, which is now, I don't know, 8,000 employees, uh, one of the largest employees in Fort Worth, he used to pull into the driveway of the three partners that started that business in their garage. So <laughs> that's a neat story. Then yeah. uh, my dad came in uh, as more of a managerial style. Uh, he does like the golf course, but he happened to get a lot of deals done that way on the golf course. Yep. And managed heck of a business for, uh, I mean, 40 years of his life he's been in it and, and still is. So we communicate uh, on a regular basis about my ideas and, you know, uh, the differences in philosophies and how the industry's changed. And it's uh, been really cool. In fact, the first six or seven years of my career between my father, my grandfather and I, all who are, I'm not the one and only Charlie. I'm actually the third. But okay. uh, one of us was holding the door for the other two when we walked in in the morning. That's awesome. So that part of it's really neat. So like wrapping that up, is there something that y'all did differently that most families can't achieve to get a business to the fourth generation? Is it respect for each other? Is it planning for future generations maybe better than others? Or it's just kind of how the cookie crumbled? That's a big one. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, my dad was actually going to be a dentist. He was pre-med and in dental school and, and broke off one summer to help his father and never looked back. So yeah. he's really enjoyed it. I think just us talking through it and and having the opportunity to get in there. Yeah. And our industry, this probably exists in a lot of industries. Say, once you get in the furniture business, you're never getting out. It yeah. is unique, and it's it, the, the opportunities are enormous, and it's 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 really rewarding the the relationship part of it. But I think the Gen Four thing. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I got out of school. I knew I was a sales yeah, person. I didn't have a desire to go to New York. I'm not a finance guy. And I when the I, I did this landscape thing and, and got out of it pretty well for 23-year-olds. And yeah. dad said, come come try an experiment. And um, I really looked at our business and saw, wow, this is, there's only a dozen companies that do what we do in all of DFW. Yep. And you can imagine the, the market's really? pretty robust. So the, the opportunity was huge. How big is the market maybe like nationwide and then maybe more just to DFW to paint a picture of how uh, big this furniture industry is? That would be tough. I, I'm, I'm not familiar with all the major markets. DFW as a whole is considered to be a $400 million annual market wow. of, in a desirable business range. So that's that's different from retail and people that buy for their homes and things, and true commercial furniture buyers. Our largest manufacturer uh, partner, so we're, we're strategically aligned with multiple manufacturers, but our main line is Hayworth. They're a two and a half billion dollar manufacturer. Um, they're global. The largest, uh, I believe the largest manufacturer standalone is Steelcase. They're publicly traded. They're about a $3 billion manufacturer. And there's about five or six that that uh, at the top of that list that are combined 10 to 12 billion. And then there's, I don't know, a thousand reputable manufacturers in the, in the mid market all the way down. We rep about 
200 of them, uh, and about 50% of our volume comes from our main partner, Hayworth, because that's how we go after these really large projects and, and leveraging that volume and the partnership. So I remember we had lunch, we had sushi like six months ago, and I'm going to botch this a little bit, but you might pick up on what I'm saying. Was it Hayworth? You went to like, you go every year to their facility and go up and meet it. And I think you were just talking about like how remarkable some of these manufacturers are and how, uh, how it all works. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I'm up there, um, a couple of times a year. Uh, I'd like to get up there as much as I can. They're in Holland, Michigan, right outside of Grand Rapids, as are the number one and, and number three volume manufacturers. They're all 15 miles from each other, which is crazy. The furniture epicenter, but um, Hayworth started in 48 and they're a third generation family owned and operated, uh, which is very unique. If you take the number one manufacturer and go down to probably number 30, uh, I believe, I'm, I'm guessing here, but they're all on publicly traded or part of private equity groups and the Hayworth still run their organization. And you you mentioned uh, a large project. What's a large project in a, your eyes? A, a, over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. And they get all the way up to $20 million. Is there a difference in how you work on a million dollar deal as opposed to a $20 million deal? Yes. What's the difference? And, there's a, and then you get down to the bread and butter projects of the 50 to 100 employees. Yep. When you, when you get into a million dollar sell type project, that's when it really gets strategic with who you partner with as a manufacturer, leveraging how much volume can I put into a project from one manufacturer for economies of scale and efficiencies without violating what the client wants. I don't want to just tell them this is, if you buy everything from this one brand, it's going to be great because I get my numbers and the best discount. If there's things in that package that don't make sense to use, otherwise we do that. However, when you get to that volume, it makes a whole lot of sense to use one manufacturer, your finishes matches, your shipping's the same. I mean, everything about it becomes more efficient and those savings that we get from that are then passed on to the client. How far in advance, like on a big job, do you start working on that project? So it uh, depends on how in advance we know about it. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of projects that, that are not current clients that may be in the process for up to two years. Yep. On the flip side, we have clients, Cook Children, for example, they've been a, a standing exclusive client for almost 30 years. And we are working on things now that are two years out yep. that we can't talk about, but they're, you know, always got a building and plan and, and whatever. And, and so we're a big part of that budgeting process. So taking it back to maybe more, uh, uh, let's call it a smaller business, 50 to 100 employees. Um, I know it was the case for us, very kind of uneducated about the furniture world, that whole uh, environment. What are things that business owners should think about uh, maybe more in that size range, but not just from timing, but like things they can do well to make this process a good one and not a stressful one? Okay. Should they start a certain time? Should they know their budget ahead of time? Should they know their colors that they like? I mean, like what makes a good client? They should get comfortable with all of those things okay. and, and, and at least be thinking about it. Uh, for me and a lot of our business, I mean, I grew up in Fort Worth, so a lot of our business is relationship based to start with. It doesn't necessarily mean that's who we're working with all the way through, but I'm able to call quite a few people and say, hey, we know each other. This is yeah. what we do. Who do you want me to sit around the table with and, and discuss? So the, the biggest piece of advice that I give anybody is is any vendors. You're talking about your your builder, who you're partnering with on development, whatnot. Go through the interview process first and, and figure out who you want to work with. And then if everybody shoots each other straight, you're going to get what you want at the end. Right. So to sit around the table with architect, design firm, 
somebody's wife, whatever it may be, all the people that want to be a decision maker, if, if everybody will sit down and invite us to the table, and this goes for any other potential vendors, sit around the table on the front end and spend a little extra time, it will save so much time through the process from then on. So like at that first couple of meetings with the architect, getting you involved for space planning and, and thinking through that, or like, when should you be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, a lot of times we get involved before that. If yeah. I've got a friend that's like, hey man, we're gonna, we're gonna go from 10 to 100 employees in the next three years. Once I get this thing off the ground, what should I be thinking about? Yep. That's when I wanna talk to that person. And then there's gonna be a long gap where there's nothing really for us to offer until right. we get back into the budgeting process. But thinking about, you know, because the other thing you've mentioned architect, we we try not to, we don't want to step on the toes of of the architects because they also send us a ton of business and we partner with a lot of them. So it's it's really about leveraging each other's strengths and what we have to offer because a lot of that, there's so much overlap, but both parties are required almost all the time. Yep. So you, you mentioned that you're working in government, healthcare, education, maybe making this a little more geared towards kind of real estate and things that uh, I'm more familiar with. We'll, we'll talk more about kind of the commercial side. We're living in a world now, had we done this a year ago, maybe this would have gone differently, but I'm excited we're doing it now, uh, where work from home, uh, you know, there's, I've been in office buildings in downtown Fort Worth that nobody's in right now. Uh, the Bank of America building with TPG and Wells Fargo and Bank of America, it's like, this huge building with nobody in it goes down. Let's just kind of start heading down that path. So COVID hits and you've been watching this unfold for six months. What's kind of maybe your first glance at like where we are today? What are your clients saying? How are you thinking about the world maybe differently than you were say a year ago? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say that, that there's a lot of companies out there with very and correct with incredible resources but if there's any one person that tells you they're an expert on what to do they're they're lying yeah we're, we're just not far enough along and i've been wrong on every prediction <laughs> i made in march well every every us architects the furniture business whatever everybody every organization's client mix is so different from the next and every client's desire of how to address this is is different so we've been playing an educational role in like here are your options yep. here's how some people have done it and then there's the layer of there's a perception of safety and a perception creating a perception of we fixed everything we need to fix at the office. The other side is actually changing things within their organization. And right. I, I think culture is going to weigh completely outweigh what we can do with physical space. For sure. You know, just simple things like wayfinding and, and you know, spreading people out. I'm, I'm going on a tangent here. Yeah. I'm going to re come back to your actual question. But yeah. I think everybody's still trying to figure it out. Yep. Uh, we have done some Band-Aid projects and slapped up glass and plastic dividers everywhere, which is fine. If somebody wants to, if an organization wants to spend $100,000 to put a 12-inch glass stack on top of their deal, absolutely. If that makes them and they think their clients are going to be comfortable with that, which they very well could, we can absolutely do that. Or if they say, we really don't, we're going to not send anybody back till. February or March, and we really want to think about this and explore it, then we're right there with them exploring yep. all through the pro uh, through that whole process. So uh, light reconfiguration of space is what we're doing now. And show, and then we're, we're taking their floor plans and creating a, a visual guideline to how many people should be in a room and how, what the circulation should look like. Say, so just tell them you don't have to change anything mm -hmm. right now. You got to experiment, get half of your staff back in there or uh, a lot of these people are, you know, saying, okay, we've proven that we can work from home. 
70 to 80% of people by a whole bunch of surveys are ready to come back because they're missing out on mentorship and everything else, just camaraderie. But we're saying, all right, well, ease into that. Let us give you some guidelines on how we think you can direct your staff to rethink how they use their office space, but don't abandon it. We don't, we don't, we don't need to redo the whole thing. Right. While we would benefit from that financially, we're not benefiting from, by as a partner in, in that, if that's the approach we took. So. I'm actually starting a company that is, uh, it's called Plexiglass Demolition Company. And I'm going to be ripping out all the plexiglass that gets put up in the next two years that we realize <laughs> we, we don't actually need. You should. Um, so uh, hire me as a vendor. <laughs> you got uh, it. Yeah. Uh, you install it. I'll just get rid of it. Done. Um, I'll give you the list. Is there anything that tenants, is there anything that, you know, thoughtful companies are doing that have just jumped out at you and like how they're approaching it is just being patient and letting the storm go through and then deciding how to think about it, the smartest move, or has there been anything unique that's jumped out at you? That's like, that's a really good idea. More people should be doing that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what we're doing, but, uh, what we've been doing and we'll continue to do through the year, but the, the, let's start with that. So our people wanted to come back. And so we, we really sent out a questionnaire. I only have 30 employees right. uh, between the two offices, but, uh, and so it's, and it, everybody's super close and it is very much like a family, but everybody's ready to get back together. So in order for us to protect the people that were in the more vulnerable demographics, we said, well, we're not just going to let everybody come back because they want to. So we decided to do rotate um, and we work in teams. So we decided to rotate half of our SEAL teams on Monday, Wednesday, and half on Tuesday, Thursday. And we leave and we send everybody back home on Fridays. And that's when we have clients that want to come into our showroom and, and do big, larger meetings and, and visits. That's not restricted just to that, but that's kind of the goal. And that allows everybody to be a little more comfortable that there's not just people all around them and the activity is significantly lower. So in teaching our clients about that, a lot of them have gone that same direction too, to at least buy them some time to what to figure out. On that note, a lot of the clients, what I think is really cool, clients that I've seen either in a hierarchy structure or just a structure where the management and the and the and the people don't necessarily aren't involved in a collaborative state uh, most of the time have really engaged their people and interviewed and we, we just by suggesting we're like why don't you ask why don't you survey your entire organization and see what they want and that's the kind of thing that I think is will be so impactful moving forward because now they've asked a question of people which which prior to COVID seemed like just something I don't want to deal, I don't want to manage that because we're going to get answers all over the place. Well, what happens if you start seeing cons some consistencies in the answers and you learn something from it? Now let's apply it to other things like, sure. what do you want to do with your office? Uh, everybody wants natural light. Everybody wants this, all these things that have been buzzwords and they go, wow, this is the voice of our staff. Then they start thinking about things they weren't thinking about before. Maybe we should move. Maybe we need less real estate in a the fact that we can walk to a restaurant is not as important as we thought we could, but a place that's really fun to be at and not have to leave is better. And they're considering totally different things. Yep. On the on the work from home, uh, and there's you know there's certain industries where it probably works better than others. I mean, I'm in your camp. Energy breeds energy, and that's why the office is important. I mean, everybody always says like, I don't get a lot done in the office. Mm -hmm. I get done more at home. But oh, that that's in short doses over the long period of time the action is kind of where it happens. That's the magic. I guess maybe a question is, is there, and I don't know if y'all are doing this or if other companies, but is there gonna be this whole new work from home line of furniture so that people have professional setups and it's not more of working at the dinner table or something like that? Um, 
Yeah, that's the difference maker. If you have a nice home office, it's probably not that bad, yeah. especially if you're used to it. Um, and especially if you have children, yeah. which yeah. you and I are in that camp. I yeah. can't do more than an hour's worth before I'm getting tugged on. No shot. Um, so I don't know that we'll introduce new products or that any of our manufacturers are introducing new products, but they are they're marketing things a bit differently. And, and what we are seeing from our larger manufacturers and where we have large clients that have buying agreements or discount contracts in place, that we're able to leverage that out into the field. So if the, um, and, and the organizations don't want to duplicate the amount of assets they own just to make let everybody go home. However, if they're if that's something they're considering and saying we would like to give somebody a, 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 a you know some money towards a new chair or a new, then those people can come to a single point of contact and have if they like it the same kind of chair they have at their office. Yeah, and we're able to leverage the contracts we have in place under these large commercial facilities to then take it right back to their house. Yep. Are you thinking that companies will, there, there's like on one end, it's like we're going to downsize and have a lot of our employees remote. There's the other thinking of, no, we're coming back, but we might need more space because people are going to be more spread out. Is that just case by case? Or do you think one side's going to be more? I don't think one side will triumph over the other, but uh, but you're right. It's all over the place. So I think I think sense of place is not going away, right? 80% of companies need a place to call home, whether that's for their employees or not. It may just be a bunch of conference rooms, but it's where you bring your clients in. It's where you get your deals done, all that good stuff. You've got your brand. You've got all the things that you need, a home run, uh, places to present, even if it's a video conference center that then goes out to the work from home groups. So, you know, I don't think offices are going to abandon office space. Um, I think that some companies are thinking we need to spread out more. So maybe we need more space. And then the flip side is, well, 20 to 30% of our staff may not really need to come in that much. So how do we create more flexibility out of the space that we have? Well, at the same time, at least during COVID times, well, I can't have two people sharing a desk. What if one of them is sick and the other one's not? So there's a lot of, you know, information that's that's contradictory to the other, but I think everybody's still kind of learning. I mean, we haven't seen the bottleneck of real estate leases explode yet. It's kind of, I mean, yeah. we're all sitting on a bomb, but, yep. you know, I, I think they're going to have, I think the, the transactions will pick up again when some groups want to move because they want to spread their people out. Some of it, we're going to reconfigure their existing space if they've got furniture that allows for that. And now, of course, we're talking to companies that we may have talked to two years ago and didn't get a project and they didn't go the route we were recommending. And now they're saying, we really wish we had stuff that we could turn the way people are facing and and unplug it here and plug it in over there. Like it's really easy and you're not necessarily paying a premium, certainly not over what you paid the first time. And now you're paying to redo it all. Yep. Uh, So yeah, we're having a lot of those conversations. And this conversation has been going on for a while, kind of the open floor plan. It works in Silicon Valley where you see it a lot where software engineers are just heads down in their computer. Um, And then in more kind of non uh, software engineer type companies, the open floor plans been debated as like, is this really as great as it want, or do people want their own space kind of in their own wall? Are you expecting at least more uh, offices to probably go back to actually having offices or you think it'll just kind of? I think the closed door office will be con- considered more often than it has been in the last five years. I yeah. don't think that the conclusion will necessarily come to that, but if they're reworking who's in, this is going to further solidify when, when we, you know, 15 years ago, we used to come in with a prescription for everyone or the CEO would say, I want everybody out on the floor. Like, that's great. I want everybody to have a six by six. Like, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But your accounting department has a different need than your sales department and your field workers have a different. So 
now we're going to, and we've been doing that for a long time, but now you've got companies that, that were either like open plan works or closed door offices. And, and there's this incredible opportunity for the hybrid, which we do over and over again, but those that don't see it now, they're going to have to. Are there any, uh, I don't even know how to ask this COVID era line of furniture that might come out or it's, it not, doesn't really have to do with the furniture. I'm positive. There are companies marketing COVID era furniture, yeah. but <laughs> the screen, if you thing, sit in this chair, you yeah, will not you, get COVID. This is an antimicrobial letter. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm positive. And that's, which is really uh, prevalent in, in healthcare, like copper services and, and, you know, man-made materials that have things built in them that are supposed to be antimicrobial properties. But, uh, the screen thing is a big one which is not anything we haven't been doing already. Right. It's just, uh, oops, we went way too open before, now we need to stack on top of that. And a lot of furniture allows for you to do that without reinventing the wheel. For sure. I think where we've been pushing, I mean, 10 years ago, the conversation was have a, like that mix of spaces. And, and 10 years before that was when we started migrating into the open plan. What we've been not pushing at all, but discovering is the right application is that, that we try to simplify the kit of parts to as simple as it can be, uh, meaning there's a infrastructure or a backbone or a skeleton in place that's for all departments and all users, but that those kit of parts are unlimitedly flexible within any other application. And then by department or user requ- requirement, they can have whatever extra stuff they need. You know, yeah. There's groups that don't even need a drawer. They just need a place to plug in their laptop. Great. And there's groups that are HR and they need walls and a door and, and a sound machine above their head so uh, or they need a closed door office right so we're doing a lot of the open plan is combined you know you're taking away people's personal space in theory at least on on the singles you know plane of real estate we're taking away square footage on the floor but then we're giving it back to them in vertical storage and, and the weight of dividing and then giving it back to them in in common places for them to go yep. four hr people can have two conference rooms rather than four offices for all four of them. Correct. That are just theirs. But as far as actual furniture goes, we may see things get a little bit taller. Um, yeah. But we've always been setting things up to, to divide people in a way that, that that eliminates or at least lowers visual distraction while still allowing them to see out a window. Like, right. That's a big deal. I, I don't want to avoid the potential of getting coughed on from 10 feet away if I'm put in a box and I can't see out of it. Yeah. So there's, yeah. Have you seen any of these surveys that companies are doing? Like, do you see what people are kind of asking for in the moment? I'm I'm sure that's probably even changed from what they would have asked for in April to what they're asking for now. They're like, just get me back in the office. That's exactly right. Like, what what are the things? Like, is there anything unique that they've asked for that's... Most people just want to go back. Yeah. And it's not everybody, but the people that say the change they're looking for, which a lot of the resources we're getting from the big architecture firms, architect houses, Gensler and and IA, and I'm going to leave them all off. I'm going to get mad at me. But there's a bunch of really great places and... And the local and before we got on, you were talking about all of them. Right, so. right. All, all yeah. of them. All They're of all them. equally amazing, and uh, we love them all. Uh, but they have produced these incredible surveys that have that, that have touched, you know, their touch points in the entire industry with their clients, with us, with furniture dealers, with their entire, you know, 10,000 employees across the country, things like that. And I think the, the, the biggest one is that people want to go back, yeah. even if they're restricted on how they go back or if there's new rules in place, people miss people. Yep. And that's it. That's not going to change. And this young generation, the next generation coming up, if they miss out on the mentorship that all of us got, yeah. they're going to be lost 
and resentful still their entire career. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We, we were this, in the same boat. We opened our doors on May 1st and every, I mean, everybody except for a couple that were having kids came back. Didn't have to, didn't have to beg. Yep. I'll put it that way. Right. Um, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about office. Uh, you mentioned gov- again, back to government, health, education, anything different happening in those worlds that's not happening in office that's interesting? I would say it's a, a similar application to the same type of changes. Yeah. Um, I don't know about your kids, but mine are back in physical school. So are mine. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Fingers crossed. But they're sitting where where last year they were six kids to a little table, and every three weeks they switched around who their table mates were. This year they're at a four-foot or six-foot table with a piece of glass, and it's only two kids. Yeah. And it almost looks sad when you see the little pictures, but they're having a good time. They're, yeah, yeah. they're the same as adults. They're just glad to be back Yep. with their little masks on and... Yep, you got a little mask. It's like a necklace. Yeah, with a necklace. Not wearing it. Yeah, that's right. With yeah. a name on it. Yeah. We're in the same deal. I haven't asked you this before, but do y'all only sell new furniture, or are y'all involved in like if I this furniture we're sitting on now, if I'm gonna upgrade, do y'all sell what I already have, or is that a whole nother industry? It is a whole nother industry, okay. uh, and I would like to dabble in, in. And there's actually multiple kind of sections, but our business model is new furniture, so. Our overhead is very little. It's it's a lot in terms of staff and, and infrastructure and the softwares and all the things that we have to do to provide the deliverables and, and maintenance and things that we do. But but I don't I'm not I don't have a warehouse full of stuff. Everything we're doing is made to order. Even if it's sitting on a shelf and I if somebody needs an office in five days, we can do that. But it's sitting on somebody else's shelf, uh, a marketing or import company that has a, a overseas stuff. Majority of our manufacturers are U.S. made, and the majority of our manufacturers are made to order. So they'll have they're not just raw materials, but partially finished product. But everything we do, it doesn't matter if you want a black chair or an orange and red chair, the cost of that chair is the same and it, you just got to wait on it. Yep. We have access to all the um, immediately read, readily available stuff too, but it's black or it's gray right? and it's just generic. So when you get into the used side, there are dealers that do both, but, but they have it set up as two totally different profit centers. You have to go out and shop the market for people trying to liquidate. Yep. Then you have to make an offer that's not offensive yep. and be able to afford the labor to get it out and then go sit it in a warehouse. Yep. And people aren't going get, to get to see it the way it was set up in an office. So yep. you better have taken good pictures of it before you tore it down. There are a lot of um, circumstances where we broker between the middle of it, though. Yeah. It just depends on what side you're on. But somebody leaves a building and wants to leave their furniture. And a lot of times that's our recommendation. See if the building will let you keep it there or at least keep it there until they have a new tenant coming in. Right. That'll give us some time to figure out what to do with it. Right. And if in that window, I got another client that comes along and says, man, I just, you got any used, which typically is no, but yeah. uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> if you want this and this and this, and that's the case for being in the used furniture business anyway, is it, if I've got a million dollars of used inventory, right, enough to build 5,000 stations, none of it matches. And, and if somebody needs 400 stations, you only got 380 of them. Yep. It's a tricky spot. Yeah. Now we're, we're looking at potentially some office space to move into and just even being in the market, seeing subleases, you're seeing a lot of like, it comes with the furniture, the furniture staying, you can keep it. That's right. um, I assume at least in the short term, that'll probably be a robust market. That's right. Kind of the second generation. And if you're good moving into it the way that it is, that's a really great deal. We yeah. recommend people, well, should I, should I use this? If you can get in there and then you can leave it again when you get out, yeah. do that. Do that. For sure. Do that. Question that just kind of came to mind, uh, again, just thinking about your grandfather pulling up to the Alcon founders back in the day, 
what's been the biggest change in office? And I think some of this is is obvious, but since like the 1950s to where we are today, I mean, you didn't have internet, you had fax machines everywhere and there was no docu, there was no box or drop box. You stored it in a file. So I'd imagine there was rooms just filled with files. Like the biggest change, I think as an industry, all of the, 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 what we call a dealership was also in the supply business. Okay. None of us are anymore. It's very rare that anybody that does the level of service that we do on the furniture part, because I mean, once we get a client and, and as long as we don't mess it up, they can be our client for 10 or 20 and 30 years because we're managing all that assets and everything to do in their growth. But being competitive at selling a pencil when somebody can beat us for a, a couple of pennies and, and their distribution, like a Staples or whatever, like they figured it out and they got it down. Right. So that was a big one. Yeah. I mean, at one time we had a, a, a retail store, um, okay. like a dozen of them and sold that to the Tandy Corporation in the 90s because the big box stores had not come to Texas yet, but they did. And and uh, luckily my father saw that coming and said, let's get out while yeah. we can. And that's when Tandy was buying every company yeah. in Fort Worth and, <laughs> and around the state. Um, and it worked out for both parties for a little while for them. And then they, they stuffed it, that store suffered the same fate that we would have anyway with the big boxes. Um, and the other one's just the speed of market, yeah. uh, sheer volume of opportunity. I mean, back when my father was in my, you know, when he was in his thirties, we were doing five to $8 million worth of furniture sales. And that was a big deal. Yep. Uh, now we're clipping 30 yep. and there are dealers in our industry that do a hundred. Yep. I mean, it's, I mean, there's institutional capital finding its way in our industry now, not oh, here, really? like California and um, some New York. I mean, there's a, there is it, a $500 million furniture dealership does exist yep. um, more than one. So I think that's, that's the big change is that it's not, it can't be mom and pop and the, and the economy scale has to get this free be able to service those big clients because companies have gotten so much bigger than they used to be. Yep. We in turn have to be able to handle those large companies. Is there like a godfather of the office layout that the industry thinks about, maybe even back dating to the early 1900s that kind of figured out how an office should be laid out or it's just kind of evolved? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe industry specific, but it's so, Yeah. I mean, the, on, the only industry I can think of or, or type of furniture layout that's kind of got the perfect scenarios is a call center. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they haven't been able to change it there's no more tweaks left and at call centers the modern call centers are almost like what we're in right now just a table with yep. nothing in between their, their computer monitors are what divide them they're spending very little on the on the furniture maybe a comfortable chair and then they've got a 500 headset on and they are the quietest places you can go is that because of sound machines or because of sound abatement is part of it so we do sound masking systems which are installed typically in the ceiling either above grid or in open and then fire into the into the uh, they fire up uh, in most most scenarios, uh, some of them are down direct or, uh, direct downward firing. But but let me back up because there's nothing blocking you and I. We are talking like we would if we were sitting having a beer or something. Right. right. The same goes for the call center. The second that I put a panel just above our eyes, I'm now in my own world and right. I will talk as loud as I want. And each person talks a little louder to be louder than the next guy. And they're not cognizant of their surroundings, and therefore everybody's volume goes up. Which is one of the biggest struggles with anybody considering open office plan. Yeah, yeah. You said a second ago, you just said all that we do for our client. And I don't know if I hit on that enough to being what all do you do for clients yeah. besides just order furniture? Because I know you do a lot. So with, with new customers, um, like many industries, a lot of times it's an RFP process and we're just trying to earn uh, their attention and then 
how far we can get down the road with that. And, and so the first, if we have a platform for to be educational partner and to sit around that round table, there's a whole lot of things we do. But, all, you know, the, the, the meat of it is that, yes, we sell furniture. With that comes floor plan and design and partnership with all the other people involved. And a lot of those services are included in the purchase of product, I guess, if that's how you want to yep. put it together. Um, when we have the floor to really be part of the, the roundtable discussion, then we're providing a, a, another angle of education. Uh, some, I'm going to throw stones, some dealerships talk about the benefits of furniture and recruiting and all of that's very important that if you spend all this money, you're going to get all this return. That's not necessarily true. Uh, it is if you, if you, if you make your space desirable, yeah. then you will get a return on it. That doesn't mean you have to buy super nice stuff or a ton of great things, but you do have to put the package together correctly. Yeah. So in helping with the visualization and then them understanding just from our 75 years of saying, here's what we've seen work. It's up to you to take all these facts and decide what you want to do with it on the on the after sale. So then we become uh, involved in, in the, the asset management and their growth. Um, Company A has got one floor in a building. Uh, we're going to go to two floors, but we want to take half of the departments that are on this floor and move them up there. Great. So we start exploding the Legos and putting it back together and however else we're going to add in. Um, on the healthcare side with Cook, I've, I've mentioned we're, we're kind of their full full turnkey service provider. So we do their maintenance. We have people in-house uh, that are making rounds in their entire facilities, including their branch locations, looking at all their product, checking off inventory. If something's broken or dirty, we're rotating that stuff out, getting it clean, getting it repaired, getting it replaced, and then putting it back in pretty smoothly. My daughter spent four and a half months at Cook's when she was born. I know that. And that was not a good experience, but I'll tell you what made it a good experience. <laughs> the chairs that I sat in, the cafeteria that I sat in. So thank you for that. You are welcome. We will take that credit. And if they weren't comfortable, I would tell you how it really worked. <laughs> <laughs> what are the coolest office features that you've seen that like not even that everybody does just unique things that maybe people have never even thought about that companies have done that people love anything stand out well you think it, every time like a really cool thing starts to get some momentum it becomes a trend so right now the staircase connecting two floors in the middle of a space yeah opening it up when a client walks in or a, a you know somebody that's not an employee walks in and sees instead of a receptionist behind a stuffy desk and a wall and a door that they have to go through. Now they're walking right into the beehive and there's a coffee bar. And so just this open, inviting, welcoming, um, I like the beehive example, just because all the work's happening right there. Maybe right. somebody's playing ping pong and instead of trying to hide it, we're just saying, guess what? We play ping pong, yeah. no big deal. <laughs> um, um, the open plan was kind of that 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, the regular things we're seeing is that that staircase that's busting a hole through two or three floors or a staircase that also serves as a as a place for an all staff meeting. And it's it's just really being creative and thinking, how do we duplicate the use of spaces Yep. Um, being flexible, not just for the sake of we need to be nimble. But what if a, a department wants to change the way they're set up? What if I give them the ability to do that? That's been really cool. Yep. Um, and we, and it's hard to tell that story on the front end to a, a, a company or a facilities manager or a CEO that's never done it before. And we can tell them all the stories we want, but until we install it the first time and then 18 months later, they're like, Hey, we're ready to change. And then we do it. And finally they're like, 
that was badass. Yeah, yeah. That's why we did that. That's awesome. Now I get why you told me. I'm like, and we just say, tell, tell your friends. I mean, there's no, there's nothing else we can do. That 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 uh, inviting uh, in, into an office reminds me. I don't know if you've been in Chris Huckabee's office. I was before. just that was what was in the top of my head. Yeah. he likes to sit there and drink coffee and say, it's hi. incredible. Yeah. I want to just pick on one cool project that you worked on that some local listeners might know more. You did Dickie's Arena. We did Dickie's Arena. So how do you do an arena? Is that, uh, that's are really you doing the, the stadium seating or are you just doing all the boxes and everything else? Like what, what goes into an arena? How, how far you want to go down the wormhole here? Let's so, go. So Dickie's Arena was designed specifically, uh, well, it was designed to be the finest multi-purpose facility in the country. Um, and, and obviously the, the brainchild behind that was Ed Bass. Yeah, but it's incredible. Second only to it being the finest facility was that, and, and even almost more important, which, which may have sacrificed other things, was that it was to be the finest rodeo facility in the world. And that means it's a nice building and it has nice finish out. But what that really translates into is that, that trucks and trailers drive below the facility and don't mess with pedestrian traffic. And they can do multiple things at one time without interrupting each other. And that there's just, there's so much to it. And it take me a long time to explain yep. to you. So my involvement with this stock show and rodeo uh, gave me a platform to go in and, and pitch with, uh, from the relationship side. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I said, look, I'm here for 35 days in a row every year for the foreseeable future. And I'm going to care about this place more than anybody else. This is how I pitched it. I said, you guys want to negotiate a a cost plus model uh, that's equivalent to say government purchasing, and then make sure that you, whoever your point of contact is, somebody you can get a hold of 24 seven, that's us. And I office happens to be six blocks down the road. So you come up with a reason that this doesn't make sense and I will walk away. Yep. (laughs) And, uh, and this is in a room of like, 20 people. It was very intimidating, but at the same time, I knew most of them and, and I was very confident in what we said. And I said, all right, let's do it. So so from there, it became a very roundtable partnership. Uh, David M. Schwartz Group was the architect, interior design architect. Um, they've done a lot of projects, including Cook, uh, Bass Hall. They've done a lot of stuff in Fort Worth. They're out of D.C. Amazing group. Their style and their architecture is evident in Arena and, and a lot of the projects they do around the country. They're very particular, uh, like a lot of architects. But their knowledge of commercial furniture uh, is not necessarily the same as some of these, like a, like a, I'll use Gensler again, or Perkins yeah. and Will, they have these giant departments. Uh, they're actually a small firm. So their knowledge of what's important about furniture was incredible. But about how it works, like we love this chair, but we'd like, we'd like the back to be a little bit more pitched. Well, now you've completely retooled how a chair is made, but we got it done. So that, that was a, that was a, um, a long process of, uh, in particular, all the board, everybody involved was like, okay, let's see, I'd like to sit in some, some chairs for this area. Well, that might've been 20 bar stools to get to the one that we ended up with. And we did it. We had, yeah. we set up these big rooms and 20 bar stools, 20 lounge chairs. I mean, not 20 of everything, but a large quantity, a larger quantity of the ever done yep. for about 20 different functions. Yep set up in rooms with a whole group of people sitting in every one, taking notes, pros and cons of each, foam densities, the whole deal. And then we just continue to tailor the package until we get budget, aesthetic, everything aligned with what they wanted to do. We had plenty of time and uh, it was delivered perfectly on time. One of the lowest punch jobs we've ever had. Awesome. And uh, they continue, they've got a bunch of empty rooms that they, they said, what are we doing here? I said, well, if you don't know, don't do anything. Yeah, just wait. And then when y'all say, oh, crap, we need this. Okay, let's do it now. 
you just said foam density <laughs> like in a in a lounge chair if you yeah. sit on that couch it's too firm it's too soft ah uh, so it's like how much how much cushion basically right so then i'm going back to the manufacturer we love this chair but it's too firm okay let me call that manufacturer let my team let's call a manufacturer and see if they've got a different yeah. uh, format a different density of foam they make it send us a new cushion new guy sits in it it's too soft all right find something in the middle so after you do the entire project, they still welcome you back to the rodeo. They do. Because they do. the Fort Worth rodeo is not the Fort Worth rodeo if Charlie is not down on the floor. <laughs> Grabbing tails. Seriously. Um, it's one of the best times of the year. I hope it happens this year. I don't know how much you want to go into this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Bring it. What does Royer commercial look like 10 years from now? That's a that's a, that's a heavy one. Um I don't know what it's going to look like two years from now, but I, I, what I do know is that um, we we are built on a platform that I'm very proud of, and, and it, there's a foundation there that is exactly what it needs to be. Uh, we have amazing people. We have uh, great infrastructure. We have incredible clients. We've got great relationships all over DFW. And what we're trying to figure out is what the industry is going to do and how much do we want to adapt or how much do we want to you know, stick with what we are because we know we're good at that. Um, I think 20 years from now that the industry, that these major manufacturers are going to be very strategically aligned. And those, the regions in which they're aligned with their distribution partners are going to be very big. Yep. So uh, a, a significant consolidation. We may start seeing that next two to three years after all of this. I mean, everybody's manufacturer sales are down 40 to 60%. The dealerships even ones with a really good client list are down 20, 30%, which is expected. And we're, we're, uh, we've always been prepared for those things. We're pretty cash heavy because of this. I mean, yeah. the, the first little dip in economy, what's the first thing that goes furniture? I yeah. mean, it's before anything else. So even if people downsize real estate, they're still moving real estate, but they're not taking their furniture or they're not buying new, they're, they're repurposing. So sure. yeah, I don't know. I think we'll, I think we're going to up our game in, in service. Uh, I think we're going to, we've got some real homework to do on marketing. Yeah. I don't know if I haven't answered the question where I'm, where I'm, I'm commending who we're seeing as going to disrupt the disruptors. So you've got Veridesk and Uplift and, and Poppin and, and these groups that do a really good job of their marketing and, and, and how they're out, they're getting direct to consumer and not necessarily the buyer for a whole office space, but might become that or there's enough word of mouth there that somehow it's getting back to people to go, ah, ah. I mean, we'll have people say, I, I want to look at, I heard about this popping. I'm like, that's great. Let's look while I'm dropping their stuff. And they may have a chair like this that comes in three colors yep. and it's X price. And if you buy 10 of them, it's a little bit less and it's great. And it seems simple and, it, and it's fantastic until you get to a certain point. Yeah. When you get over 30 or 40 employees, the level of service required is, is significantly different. And I think a lot of those companies are going to figure it out with time. Um, but right now they're telling a really good story that a lot of people are buying and then they're they're having to blend still what we do along with, or I bought this desk from so-and-so and it's only $700. Yeah. They're only like 500 if you buy them from me, but I don't market it that well. That's our yeah. problem. Like we know that. So we're trying to figure it out. I'm really excited for you uh, just being in the real estate industry and talking to people um, like our mutual friend, Mike Barry, and some real heavy hitters around DFW that the calls for DFW corporate relocations are ringing off the hook like they never have. And that's for office, that's for moving people here. So I think the market is gonna be another tailwind at your back. Uh, one interesting question I had, and you might've already answered it, and if you did, 
Uh, we don't have to spend too much time. I'll on it, but again. Let's just say Amazon had come to DFW okay. and they're moving. I think they were moving 5,000 people here. Or, or maybe we pick Charles Schwab that just did move 5,000 people here. Okay, we talked about 25 to 100 people. We talked up to 1,000 employees. Does the game change when you start talking about 5,000 people? Big time. And what does that look like? Big time. And Alliance is a really good example of, of a whole lot of that. So just like we have relationships here in DFW with our, our clients, uh, even big ones that have locations all over the country, if we're doing, it doesn't, they have to make this decision, but if we're doing our job right and we're, we're able to handle and have the bandwidth to take care of them nationally or globally, which we do, we have a lot of clients that way. And we're talking to them the right, about the right conversations. Hey, if you're going to open an office of 50 people in every state over the next 10 years, we want to pretend that's all one big project, that y'all are one client. Then you have a single point of contact for managing that. You get, you send us the plans. We already know what you want in there. You already know what it's going to cost. It makes perfect sense, which is great. Well, the same applies for companies that are from Philadelphia or New York or whatever, and they're coming here. They don't want to hear from us. Some right. of them do. When it becomes their choice, when they say, we want to shop the local market because yep. we're relocating an entire headquarters and it's going to be us and five or six other dealers, depending on if it's the architect's choice or there's three or four potential relationships or the chamber or whoever makes intros for us. And then it changes a lot. Um, if you're getting into the 5,000, 6,000 Toyota headquarters, things like that, you're getting above 10 up into the $20 million projects if it's all office jobs. And something like that, if done poorly, could destroy our company. Yep. I mean, it really could because we're just not that bit. We don't have that much room to make that kind of a mistake. Right. It's a pretty skinny business uh, margin wise. Right. Which people think is not true, but it is. <laughs> um, luckily, the volume offsets that. But yeah. um, it's tricky because you you have to you would have to set up a dedicated, a very big dedicated team just to that client, which can be very absolutely worthwhile, but everybody's got to nail it because they, just like any project I work on with a construction guy who's not sure why I know anything about construction. Well, I've been in a meeting with every construction company in Fort Worth, right? right. So I start to understand. Well, the Amazon expert that probably is at the corporate level has worked with every furniture dealer all over the country. Right. So they're going to, they know what little buttons to push. Yeah, yeah. You got to be on it. How long does an office installation for like a 5,000 person take? Is months. It months? Yeah. So for months, they're just delivering furniture and continuing to set it up. Right. And that goes back into the part that the behind the scenes that people don't see us doing. Even uh, I remember the last the last large job where I worked for our installation company was when DR Horton moved downtown yep. um, into the DR Horton Tower. It's uh, 11, 12 floors, something like that. So my project management team, which I have no idea how it worked at that time because I didn't work in the office, but our project management team was scheduling three trucks to deliver. Number one, the building only has one elevator, <laughs> one freight elevator and very strict rules. Furniture trucks and furniture delivery got the 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. slot. Wow. So we were offloading three 18 wheelers every other night. And that was a floor and a half of furniture, basically. And so you'd have a team of 30 guys on a floor building. You'd have 15 guys between at truck, through elevator, offloading, staging, cardboard going back down, all of that. You might have 60 guys on a project. And depending on how it's set up, and that one was a, I mean, you had paint and everybody on the next two floors down was two weeks ahead of whatever floor we were working yeah. on. And there's just so many trades in the building. 
when it's a standalone building or a big tilt wall, it's a little different because you've got different access points. But you, I mean, if you got you got sixty people on a job, if if a if a building allows for that m- that many people, it could still take weeks and weeks and weeks. Five thousand people, I I don't even know. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and companies expect to show up the first day and everything be ready to go or do they kind of um, move in like if, during if, the process? If, what do you recommend they do versus what happens? Not that. If I if, if our people are telling the right story, it's that there's gonna be, you know, things are gonna be almost perfect. And anything that's not, you, it, we're gonna need a system on how we deal with it. Yep. And that the client needs to have that expectation too. It's just so much. And Every scenario is different. If it's a if it's a four story building and they're letting us start on the fourth floor and the third floor is still three weeks out and we're gonna have to stagger the whole thing, sometimes we end up robbing Peter to pay Paul to get a set. You may have some random or a CEO that comes in and says, "Hey, I really wish y'all will start it on the other side of the building." Yeah, we're like, "Dang it, we went yeah. through this with the facilities team and they want to start on this side of the building." So you just got to be nimble and 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 ready for all that stuff all the time. Sometimes the most ideal situation is when building is complete and everybody agrees, I want paint, carpet, lighting. I want everybody out of there. So if anything happens to the building, you can blame it on us. But if that's not the case and we're all in there on top of us together, it's not fair to point everything at the furniture guy because that's what they always do. And, but when that, when, when we have that, they're like, look, the space will be done here and we don't need it for three weeks. Great. If you're cool with it being done in three weeks or whatever time you need for IT and computers and all that, Give me the finish date, not the start date. Does the furniture guy often get the flack because y'all are the last kind of people oh, in? Yeah. So if the painter's two weeks late, it, you still got to be on time, or at least it's perceived that way. That's exactly right. Yeah. If so, every person's late, all oh, the carpet's two days late. Well, I got a truck but it just pulled up right now, and y'all just told me about carpet right now. What yeah. do you want to do about it? Yeah. Well, nothing. Send yeah. it back to your warehouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't cost anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to brag on you for a second and then we'll we'll get down to uh, some fun questions at the end. But uh, just bragging on you, if if there's somebody that I think that of uh, that's really, really, really good at business development, it's you. Um, did somebody teach you? Is it Appreciate natural? If, if somebody's listening, going like, how do I build a career in sales or business development? Like, what are some things you would say? Join the rodeo. Yeah, start, yeah, join the rodeo. When I got started... My father was had the foresight to say, just go meet everybody you can. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if they need anything. Just just go make sure everybody knows your name and your face. And he didn't take it much further than that. But that was probably the best advice I got in those first five or six years. So that turned into join everything that anyone asks you to join. Uh, <laughs> join board. Chamber, this board, this board. Will you be an advocate for this? Will you teach uh, junior achievement? I mean, and I did all of it. And it was really great. And then you have to start scaling back and then you have children and things really have to peel back. But the, the evolution of it has become now I'm trying to teach other people. How, not everybody. I don't need a, a, everybody out hunting, but um, one or two people that are just good. And it's I say it's relationship. Just just go get to know people and don't try to sell them anything. And that in exchange will be who you'll be the person they want to buy from. Yep. Um, when we've hired new people and any advice, somebody will come to me and say, I'm going to get into sales, not necessarily with us, with whatever. I want to get into sales. What should I do? I said, you got at least a year where you can go call on anybody that you're supposed to a list or, or at random and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I love this company and I like what they do. And I want if there's something that you need, I will figure out how to get it done. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And and the people that have taken that advice, I think, have done gone a long way with it. Yeah. No, I think. Young people, especially in the era they've lived in where everything's so instant gratification, I tell people coming in to buy real estate or whatever, is like the first couple of years, 
you're not going to do a whole lot, but you can spread a lot. Yeah. You, can get, you can have a huge ground game. And I remember being young, being like, why are these guys always getting the deals? It's like all those years of being on boards and it, it compounds and then it be, it looks easy from the outside. But uh, the years kind of preparing for that are are tough. That's right. The, 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 the hustle, if you want to call it that, is being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing for people, not trying to sell. Because there's plenty of people to do that, too. And, and so, I mean, that's the big one for me. Like, it. If, if I feel like I'm being sold to, I don't really want to talk with that person right now, and even if I need what they need. If I know what that person does ahead of time and then it clicks, yep. that's who I'm calling. Yep. Yep. You're awesome at it. If you were to come back on this podcast in 10 years and today you made a crazy prediction about the future, what would you predict in 10 years? It could be as crazy as we'll still be in an office 10 years from now, which I know there's people out there that <laughs> can never believe that. It doesn't have to do with your industry. It could be anything. But if there's something that came to mind, is there something you think about that a decade from now, maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about? I don't know. I mean, I think I think all of the every trend that's created within successful organizations takes a while to catch on. And and our industry or not, there's in development, there's people that are good at specific things. I think eventually leaders of industry are gonna figure out all the things that every individual company is really good at and figure out how to be good at all of them. Yep. You're kind of like Amazon. You're heading in that direction, right? Yeah. Like you're there, yeah. yeah, like Amazon, you know, and the, the the part for Amazon would be like, well, it's just not personal. Well, it's we've gotten to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. And that's right. the part you have to realize ahead of time. Uh, for me, for our company in, in 10 years, let's call it 12. That's when I'll be 50. Okay. I'd like to be the least valuable player in our organization. Deal. That's my goal. I'm going to have you on in 10 year, 12 years and ask you that question. Okay. Episode 7,000. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, what is <laughs> that? I hope that that's the only thing you're doing then is podcast and that's looking it. at your bank account. That's it. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? Patience. Patience. Mm -hmm. Love it. What's the best book you've ever read? or listen to, or of something that impacted you? Personal, strong fathers, strong daughters. I've read it, it's so good. It's a good one. There's a lot of redundancy in there, but it's stuff you just need to hear over and over again. Yep. I got two little girls, so. I do uh, too. That's all I need to know about. I do too. Um, business. There's a lot of good books and categories on how to do things, but I think what opened my mind to just the idea of accountability was a traction book. And yeah. I think you were probably the one that told me about it yeah. long, long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the best way for people to find Charlie Royer? How can they reach you? 24-hour hotline. That's it, baby. 817-291-8203. I Call love it. Cell. Thanks for joining me today. You man. got it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yep. Y'all too. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.